Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Season 4 of the ULI Toronto Electric Cities Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. Today's podcast is a welcome mat of sorts for visitors coming to Toronto, eager to learn what makes our city tick and why it continues to be one of the fastest growing urban regions in North America. Many of the visitors we have in mind are the thousands of ULI members that will be descending on Toronto from other parts of North America, Europe, and Asia to attend the ULI Spring Meeting next year from May 12th to May 14th, 2020. Joining me today is Joe Berridge one of the most respected registered professional planners among Toronto's planning and development community. He is a partner with Urban Strategies, an internationally recognized planning and design firm based in Toronto, and he has over 40 years experience providing advice to an extensive range of government and private sector clients here at home, across Canada, and an impressive number of cities around the world. Joe also teaches at the University of Toronto. In April 2019, Joe released his first book, entitled Perfect City, an Urban Fixer's Global Search for Magic in the Modern Metropolis. In it, Joe provides a lot of insightful observations about Toronto and so many of the global cities where he's traveled and worked. So Joe, it's a real honor to be sitting down with you today. It's a pleasure being here. As I mentioned in my intro, this episode is geared for visitors to Toronto, although I'm sure Toronto residents will find it equally interesting. Now, at one point in time, way back when, you too were a visitor to Toronto. That's right. So tell me a little bit about where you grew up and um, when and why you came to Toronto and whether your upbringing had any influence on the way you think about good city planning. Well, oddly, I, I, I grew up in the almost opposite of a big city. I grew up in a small uh, village in southwest England in a county called Devon. Uh, which is now most famous for Agatha Christie novels, an incredible number of uh, them are set there. In fact, she was a neighbor. She lived uh, just a couple of villages away, and my dad knew her. Um, but this was kind of a country town, and um, I guess the interesting thing, and I th- I, the more I think about it, uh, it was a town that was uh, of no strategic importance, a cathedral city, but uh, during the war, the, the, the Germans bombed it almost flat. Uh, and I have my first memories were of walking through the rubble of this town uh, with so hand in hand with my mum, and I became a kind of uh, urban activist there. Strange, I used to write letters to the newspaper about how the reconstruction should happen. Hmm. How uh, old were you then? I, I was at fourteen, fifteen, okay. I think, when I wrote my first letters to the newspaper. On so I, obviously, I was blessed or cursed with uh, being a city planner from the, from the outset. Um, then I went to university and. Uh, I had a prof who just come back from North America, and in his hand he had the death and life of great American cities, and that was the course, Jane Jacobs' seminal work. Uh, and um, I was completely captivated. I was also captivated by a delightful lady who was born in New York, uh, raised in Paris, and I met her in London, and suddenly this was the complete opposite from, um, from my country town upbringing. So we came to Toronto, uh, literally to do an MA for a year, and then some backs and forths and perambulation, but I'm still here. An MA in, in planning? In, yes, an MA. Well, it, it, planning didn't exist at that point, but it was okay. uh, yeah, that, basically that course in so, which I now teach. So it is, again, oddly, I'm actually in the same office <laughs> that I was in 50 <laughs> years ago. Hey, don't don't go there. <laughs> so what was your first impression of Toronto? It was awful. I mean, it, 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 it's, it was an extraordinarily dull city. And when was that? that was this the... was uh, late 60s, uh, early 70s. Um, it was very drab and very gray uh, and um, oddly very suburban, even in, in its center. Um, there were these interesting points of light, the sort of Kensington Market, Little Italy, uh, those neighborhoods. Um, even Chinatown was nothing like as uh, expansive as we see today. It was sort of basically on the blocks behind City Hall. And it had this culture, which is kind of a leftover Belfast Baptist culture that was just nightmarishly restrictive. So uh, there was no shopping on Sundays. They even closed the blinds in the department stores. And, so you couldn't look at stuff on Sunday. Um, buying a bottle of wine or a beer was uh, like getting a passport. 
Um, and uh, it was also not a town that had any connection to the world outside. It was entirely its own place. Um, and uh, despite its, uh, the fact that it was becoming, even at that point, a very immigrant city. Um, anyhow, I, and also, I was an English snob. Uh, so, it, you know, I was the worst kind but of... But you were from a small town. I was from a small town, but I, but I, 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 I disdained the culture of Toronto. Uh, and we actually left to go live in New York, serious city. Um, but ran out of money, as one does in New York. And so I rather sheepishly came back here to teach at the university. And, and, um, and I guess, I, you know, frankly, I'd grown up. And maybe the city had grown up too, because suddenly David Crombie, John Sewell, these were councillors at that point, uh, Colin Vaughan. This is in the 70s. Bill Kilborn, this is in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. There was a whole raft of new councillors on city council, and one of them, David Crombie, uh, became um, uh, the really the first reform mayor. Um, I don't know if you know this, but every mayor until a couple before David Crombie were of Belfast orange origin. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It was actually Nathan Phillips uh, who built City Hall um, and uh, who was the first breaker of that tradition, uh, first Jewish mayor. Um, but anyhow, so Crombie comes in and you suddenly get this sense of excitement. And he uh, was young. He was, I mean, I think he was about 35 when he became mayor. Uh, he brought in all his talent from all over uh, Canada, North America, the world. Um, and. It suddenly, it, it, the only analogy you could make is, is say, with the Bloomberg administration mm-hmm. in New York. Uh, so what uh, was his platform then? You're saying his, he brought in all the top people. What, what did he his platform to was to, to remake the city um, uh, and really to do two things. One was to get the city center, uh, to, to preserve the city center. City, Toronto and most North American cities <coughs> were emptying out of their centers at that point. Uh, surrounding uh, the, the, the few um, new office towers in downtown Toronto were acres and acres and acres of parking. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, the development industry was trying to uh, redevelop a lot of the stable neighborhoods, uh, particularly up the uh, young subway line. So he said, well, that's causing a lot of grief. People don't like that very much. Why don't we get those developers to redevelop the parking lots downtown? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, it was interesting because it was a move that was fought by the development industry nonstop. They wanted to preserve. They, they wanted to preserve their right to, to, to knock down neighborhoods, and they also wanted to preserve their right to uh, fuel uh, new office buildings with surface parking lots. Um, and uh, so there was a, 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 a you know there's a lot of details about the battle. Uh, Crombie essentially called a kind of development freeze and said, "Unless you do what we want, we won't approve you." Um, that went to the Ontario Municipal Board, the Land Use Tribunal, and magnificently, um, they actually supported Crombie. So that was a, uh, a pivotal moment. Actually, I, I wanted to um, I wanted to get into just a little bit more on the history. There's a chapter in your book, uh, and by the way, it's a it's a terrific book. Um, so for all our listeners who uh, want to get a better a sense of Toronto and other cities in the world that where Joe has worked, you really should pick it up. Well, thank you. Um, actually, just on the book, yep. maybe let's just t- start there. Um, called Perfect City, by the way. Yeah, it's called Perf- well, Perfect City, and there's a, yeah, uh, longer, I guess it's a longer official yeah. title, but everyone knows it as Perfect City. Um, wh- why don't you maybe tell the, uh, the listeners what the book is about and why you, you decided to write it? Um, I guess because I, I've always felt oddly in Toronto, although a, a bit of an outsider. Um, hmm. if, one is because I'm an immigrant. I'm, I'm, I'm the, 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 the whitest form of immigrant you could possibly have, but I'm still not someone who was born in the culture here. Um, and I spent a lot of my working life uh, in major cities around the world, in New York and London and Singapore and Shanghai. Um, and... I came, there's a wonderful Kipling line, nobody knows England who only England knows. Well, nobody knows Toronto who only Toronto knows. You don't know what kind of city this is unless you know other cities. Because we're not, we're no longer a provincial Canadian town, as we once were. We're actually this extraordinary metropolis that is in competition with, frankly, only a dozen other cities in the world. Um, And 
the, the dynamics that fuel each of those dozen cities are the same. And I actually wanted to get into what are those dynamics. What are the things that actually create the energy and uh, growth uh, and economy of, of, of the contemporary uh, metropolis? Um, and then, how the hell do you plan that stuff? Um, because uh, it seemed to me that whereas Toronto is extremely good at a kind of modest, neighborhood-based, Main Street-based uh, planning, it's really not good at all at doing the big things that are essential to make the machine of the modern city work. It's useless at developing transit. It's useless at developing affordable housing. It really doesn't have any sense about how you do economic development. Tourism is woefully underdeveloped. Um, all of these big things uh, have been let um, slide because essentially it has to do with the political structure of city council, which is essentially a very localist council, which, and also a council which is only responsible for a third of the urban area. Uh, so, so those were the those were the things that um, I wanted to explore. The other thing is, quite frankly, I was spending so much darn time on airplanes. I had to have something to do. <laughs> right. So you needed to write. So it sounds like then, by writing the book, you have a, a new perspective on the city, or a better appreciation of. Um, the, that the the magnitude of the challenges the city faces yeah, in, com I mean, in comparison to some of the other cities you've you've worked. Yeah, I mean it's 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 fascinating. There there is there's, there's no yang without yang. That's the other thing you realize here. Uh, there is it's impossible to be the perfect city, which is how I kind of opened the book. Um, but you can be extremely good, exemplary. Let's say perfect uh, in 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 some aspects. So. Uh, London and Paris are probably the best uh, contemporary uh, cities at um, with the same kind of pluralistic economy and, and democratic structure at developing transit systems. Shanghai is absurdly capable of developing a transit system if you want to run yourself like Shanghai. Um, when you look at economic development, you go to Singapore. You know this this uh, muddy little creek uh, in, in the middle of uh, of Malaysia. Uh, has made itself the fourth uh, most substantial power uh, in the world. Um, and they've done it essentially by uh, focusing on education, uh, on trans uh, translating education into innovation, um, by being absolutely relentless in their search for excellence in everything that they do. And uh, it's, it's really darn impressive. Uh, you go to... Uh, um, Manchester, which is a, a kind of a, a different kind of city, it was the first industrial city, the industrial capital of the world for a reasonably long run, about 50 years at the end of last century, early this part of this century, and then it just died a death um, at, in the uh, the middle part of the last century, and they reinvented themselves through sports, uh, through music, through food, mm -hmm. through uh, tourism and convention activity. Uh, it's it's brilliant, as they would say there, uh, and uh, and you so you see again if you wanted to find something that's that's perfect in its genre, that's it. <clears throat> so when you wheel back to Toronto, you say, well, what are we perfect at? And it's very clear, and perhaps it might actually be the most important single thing. We accept about 125,000 new immigrants every year, uh, and compared to anywhere else in the world, this happens as peacefully and harmoniously and successfully as you could ever reasonably accept. Uh, everybody, being the folks that we are in Toronto, we say, oh, no, 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 there's all kinds of problems, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of troubles, no, 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 about this, that, and the other. True. But relative to any other city, it's quite extraordinary. And partly because of the nature of the immigration system, which is a uh, points-based immigration system, but also heavily a refugee uh, settlement immigration system, um, the immigrants who come here are full of ambition and energy, and they want to make a good life. And the process of their making a good life for themselves and their children makes a good life for the city. Mm -hmm. uh, and that chemistry is quite extraordinary here. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, people marvel from the rest of the world about how it happens. To us, it's completely ordinary. 
Do you think, um, I, I mean, I think that's something that a lot of Torontonians appreciate that, that we are a very, probably the most multicultural city in the world. Is it something, I mean, just on your book, in your book, uh, identifying immigration as um, probably our greatest strength? Um, and you even quoted um, Richard Florida's statement that said that uh, it is quite simply the most important uh, factor of our city's success. Yep. Um, but do you think that Torontonians recognize that? Um, actually, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they recognize it in a classically Torontonian way, which is in a soft way, um, which is because they don't, because there's no trouble, because it's completely ordinary to walk into an office. I mean, go and get your driver's license, or or or, or, or go down to, um, you know, get your health card, and you look around and who's in the room, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, you know what the city is made of. But when when your kids go to school. Uh, look who's in the class. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just so ordinary and normal. Um, but it sure as heck is not that way in almost all the other cities that I visited. So speaking of working abroad, um, there's a really great quote you have in your in your book where you quote a speaker at a European conference who said that Toronto is um, the biggest city in the world nobody's heard of. I thought yeah. that was really cute. Um, so when you're working abroad, what's the response you get when you say you're from Toronto? What's what's their impression of our city? They don't have one for the most part. Okay, so that I mean, we, speaks to we, that quote. We, we really are a remarkably invisible city. Um, it, the most What is fascinating is that most people in the world have a relative here. So what they will do is they say, oh, yeah, I went to visit my, my uh, uncle in Mississauga. Uh, so they, they, they know that that's the kind of connectivity but they don't have an image of this as a place um, th- there isn't a kind of a buzz or a feel mm-hmm. that springs to their mind um, and it, it's it's a slow burn this city uh, I mean I think it gets to be an addictive uh, uh, quality after a while certainly it's has been for me but um, it, the other thing is that we have never strut our stuff on the stage. Uh, it's not what Canadians don't do that. Uh, Montreal can do it. Vancouver can do it because they, Montreal has that that a culture and and and, and uh, flaneur quality to it. Vancouver's just got this superb landscape. Um, so it, it's 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 fascinating. Um, we uh, for, for a while I used to help uh, Toronto. Uh, advertise itself at a, a very big European property conference called MIPIM, mm-hmm. um, big bean feast in Cannes every March. And uh, again, people would come up and they were sort of bemused uh, by where and what this place was. I mean, what's fascinating about it is that you could argue that it's an extraordinary stealth campaign. We have passed the Chicago region in population we will pass Los Angeles in population by the mid 2040s. But it sounds like it's getting, it's going unnoticed. It, it, it but it, it, it is going unnoticed. But at a certain point, size matters. Uh, and um, when you're this, when New York City and uh, and Toronto are the two biggest urban regions, and we're growing much much faster than New York even. Um, you know, we're growing at 125,000 a year. Yeah, Los Angeles and New York are in the forty to sixty thousand a year, and what I there, there, there are a couple of things that I find really uh, heartening. One is we won the NBA. That isn't bad. Of course, that gets you notice. You take a guy like Drake. In every other generation, Drake is Joni Mitchell. He's Neil Young. He would have left for Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He stayed here. Every one of his lyrics, so my younger generation tell me, has got some reference to uh, Toronto the Sixth or whatever. Uh, and that's, uh, he's Paul Simon. You yeah. know, he, he is the poet of the contemporary city. Uh, and uh, it, so it's fascinating to me that you can, it, it, this is now a city that's big enough that globally significant people uh, can live here. I know this sounds absurd, um, and a lot of people will say, "Why the hell do we care?" Well, actually, we should care, because those people 
create an enormous uh, infrastructure of economic support and yeah. activity underneath and them. they they actually beef up our confidence i mean it, it was interesting in another chapter you have the chapter on toronto you say that and i'm going to quote this you say that toronto has never been comfortable thinking of itself as a great city and that Torontonians see Toronto as a place of inadequacy, unimportance, incompetence, and inequity, and as an ugly, expensive, second-rate town. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think Torontonians would um, push back much on that because we probably have a little bit of a self-esteem issue. But maybe that is that turning around. Do you think? Uh, I, th I think it might be. I, I mean, it's interesting that. Um I find people surprised by the city's success uh, in, a, in, a, in a fairly positive way. Um, and uh, there also, I think, there is a realization that we actually can't go on without acknowledging the scale of the urban area. I mean, we are running into the, the most nightmarish uh, traffic congestion problems that are essentially going to freeze uh, the city if we don't get building transit vastly more quickly. Um, in order to do that kind of thing, then you've got to have a pretty strong sense of, um, uh, and, and pretty strong people uh, to, to drive all of the things that have to happen. I mean, what's fascinating is that, and I, and I hope that this comes through in the book, cities are made by people. Mm -hmm. In every city where something has happened of substance and significance, you can find a person. We actually had Nathan Phillips, uh, who uh, was was the, the the essentially the author of, of City Hall. Without which, I don't think we would have modern uh, Toronto. Um, it was an extraordinarily bold thing to do mm -hmm. at this time. Um, and goodness me, was he ever uh, overwhelmed by the, the the negativity of everybody around him? But he just drove it through, and. We, I, I see that happening in every other city, and I don't yet see the, the people who, uh, at the political and city management level, can pick up that energy and, 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 and I think actually make real what most of the, the, the citizenry want. Yeah, so on making, I guess making decisions, you know, Nathan, you mentioned Nathan Phillips, um, and I was going to ask, and you've kind of alluded this, uh, to this already, but the, the character trait of, of, of a Torontonian, how does that translate into um, how a Torontonian goes about planning and designing and governing um, this city compared to you know, counterparts that you're seeing in other cities? Yeah. Um, in a, in a, basically, in a very gentle way and in a very uh, uh, nominally inclusive way, a very consultative way, uh, all of which add up to a very slow way, and, and and any big ideas tend to have the corners knocked off them fairly quickly, uh, or fairly they're like some granite boulder rolling down um, in the ice age. By the time they get here, you know they're they're, they're pretty round, um, and uh, you you see that. Uh, this has actually been true. There were, there were all kinds of grand city, beautiful plans for the city in the last century um, on the waterfront and, and, and University Avenue and other things. Uh, other cities might have done this. St. Louis, uh, Chicago, um, you know, with these, uh, even Montreal um, had these very strong urban plans. Toronto never, ever thought of itself that way. Mm -hmm. So basically just let it happen organically. Now, um, oddly, letting it happen organically produces a, 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 a not bad and pretty resilient and interesting residential world. Uh, Jane Jacobs was completely happy here with good reason. Um, and it produces these, uh, these delightful, uh, endless streets like Bloor and Danforth and St. Clair um, that are lined with retail for 10, 15 kilometers. Yeah. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah. They're unique in the world, in my experience, so yeah. to, get, to get streets that long. Um, that, that are that are active their entire length, um, but it does make doing the big things um, very difficult. Uh, you know, I've been involved in the waterfront ever since uh, the waterfront corporation was set up in 2000. Um, that's 20 years ago. Uh, it's fine what's happened now, but it doesn't take your breath away 
Uh, and when you read the original objectives of the waterfront, it was to be an economic development development. Mm -hmm. It was to reposition the city as a world-class city. Um, what's happened is nice, but it's certainly it not... It could be better. It, it, it's not that. Uh, and, um, and the other fact of the matter is, if you go to Hamburg, uh, which started at the same time as us, or Stockholm, um, they've done twice as much, three times as much as we have in that 20-year period. Uh, and it, because our process of, of, of planning and development is extraordinarily convoluted. It, it is, I mean, I've done uh, development approvals work in New York and London and Manchester um, and uh, a few other cities around the, the world, in, in Singapore. Um, nowhere is as slow and cumbersome as Toronto. Do you see? Do you see um, it getting better for Toronto? You, th you think it's going to continue to be as cumbersome as it as it has been for so many years? Well, it's it's there. There are there are a couple of structural realities which one has to cope with. The first is that um, the city of Toronto is a um, uh, essentially a, uh, a a weak council. It's not just a weak mayor system. It's also a relatively weak council. It doesn't have a heck of a lot of powers, um, uh, and that has made it preternaturally uh, responsive to um, local community consultation and involvement uh, to a degree which is uh, extraordinarily uh, uh, greater than any other city. I, mean, I, I, I work in London, England, and um, you know, we were getting great big Docklands developments. We'd have a, a one public meeting, nobody would turn up, and that was it. Um, I mean, it, 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 public consultation here is, a, is actually a, a, a recreational activity, uh, and uh, so be it. Um, the second problem is, not only do you have a, a relatively weak council, but uh, Toronto is, is only a third of the urban area and going to be a quarter of the urban area, and there is no government for the, the, the real city, which is the city that's from Hamilton to Oshawa to mm -hmm. Barrie. Yeah, um, and the province, uh, you know, tries to to uh, have a growth plan to manage that, which is fine. Um, there is uh, a, a Metrolink, a, 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 a transit authority, um, but its powers are not particularly clear, and um, and and still the biggest transit authority is largely owned by the city of Toronto. So these are issues which I think are are are. I don't have any magic solution mm -hmm. for them. It's pervasive. But they are they are pervasive. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to, now that we're in the big leagues, for real, um, we have to figure out how we behave in the big leagues. One, I, I don't want to be t totally uh, down on this. When Am the, the Amazon um, HQ2 uh, second headquarters uh, bid came out, uh, it was very interesting to see what happened there. Yeah. Immediately... Uh, the, the Toronto mayor, the province, the, the regional mayors realized that uh, we're, we're going in together on this. Uh, and Toronto Global, which is uh, the, the, the regional economic development authority, thank goodness, um, did a superb job at presenting the region Absolutely. as a whole. And that was an extraordinary, uh, um, not a glimmer of hope, a, a, a growing of hope, I think. And, and I think we've learned from that about how we have to behave. Yeah, that, that report uh, came out, I guess, in, in response. I, I remember reading it, and I, I have never felt more proud of the city. And I remember sharing it with friends of mine who were not in the planning and development business or economic, just to say, hey, if you have any um, misgivings about this city, yeah. you should read this. This is a real wake-up call to why we're such a great region. So. Yeah. Um, and I interviewed Toby Lennox, uh, one of the first episodes uh, for this podcast, and we spoke a lot about it. And, and it's, it was a really, it's a wonderful discussion about all the, the, the potential uh, that the city has. I want to just go back a little bit just on the history. Um, there was another chapter in your book about Manchester, your work in Manchester, in the rebuilding of Manchester. And the rebuilding all came about because of a, a massive bomb that was set off by the IRA in 1996, and it destroyed a one-kilometer radius in the city's downtown. Thankfully, no one was killed. Um, and, it, and it seems that that was a pivotal moment in Manchester's history, right. uh, and it played a huge part in reshaping the look and feel of its central core area. 
So similarly, when you think about Toronto, is there a pivotal moment in this city's history that had a significant impact in shaping our city? You talked a little bit about uh, Crombie. Yeah. Um, or are there other moments? I think uh, th- th- there's no question that Crombie galvanized a team of people, um, of which I was uh, really honored to be one. I mean, we're all now um, of an age, uh, and uh, there are other generations have to come on, but, but it, it was a, a generation that ran through the city and actually I think was part of, the, of the, its remaking. Um, it sounds, uh, it's not as big as the Manchester bomb, but the SARS uh, episode. Hmm. That was in 2003? Yes. No, sorry. Is that right? Maybe I'm wrong. 2002, maybe. Okay, yeah. What was significant about that was um, that the the province uh, became very engaged in the future of the city, really for the first time in in some way. All of the cultural buildings that we see around, so the the ROM, um, the new... AGO, uh, the improvements to Roy Thompson Hall, the, yeah. the Ballet Opera, uh, the, the uh, Sharp Center. Mm-hmm. These, uh, half a dozen of these, were produced in a very short period of time. And you think, you're saying that SARS was... <laughs> I know it was, because okay. there, there was there was a real worry that um, we were going to lose... Uh, it was a place that nobody wanted to come to. I, I mean, I remember uh, Americans canceling business visits. Uh, I said, for God's sake, they're... You know, six million of us living here. Uh, so why can't you come up from Los Angeles? No corporate policy. We won't come. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it, it's interesting because, in some ways, Mike Harris is always seen as the um, uh, the, the, the Darth Vader of. Uh, so he was our former premier, of, um, I guess, in the mid '90s. That's right. Yeah. But uh, you know, when push came to shove, he actually did uh, some extraordinary things, um, and I, I think. Uh, I think we pulled off a very good Pan Am Games. Those are real... In 2015. 2015. Yeah. Real, real good tests of uh, a city. It's fascinating on that very subject that uh, I've been involved in a few games around the world. Um, the Pan Am Games uh, actually didn't lose money. I'm not sure that it actually made any money, but it didn't lose any money. Uh, and even the development of the Athletes' Village, which is a very tricky thing because you've got to produce this village for all these athletes and then completely change it and then drop all those units on the market all at once. This is a, a, a d- tricky piece of development to pull off. Vancouver messed it up. London, England really messed it up for the 2012 Olympics. Uh, and Toronto did it very successfully. So there is an enormous uh, talent pool here. Um, I think the trick is to get it engaged. I mean, I, I, the, the, there's no question in my mind that the fundamental uh, question now is that we are not building enough transit uh, and that we have just got to completely accelerate the game on that but there's also no question in my mind that we ha- the, the, the skill set for that is, is right, there right here so let's just talk then a little bit about the positives of Toronto because we've been kind of maybe as a typical Torontonian I know we're and, a little bit I, we're you I, know, I bashing our own city <laughs> um, but why does Toronto frequently rank in the top 10 of so many global city rankings well, if you take uh, what are the, the basic drivers of the contemporary uh, city, what are they? Um, first, population growth, and as we've said, with our extraordinary level of population growth that we've got, uh, which is the, the, the highest level in what used to be called the Western world. Um, treble London, almost uh, more than double New York, uh, more than uh, almost double uh, Los Angeles. Uh, we are just exploding. That's amazing. We, in some ways, oddly, we are rather like an Asian city. And in fact, it, physically, it's fascinating to me to see what's happened in the downtown. The, the, the real analogies with what happened in the downtown are with what's happened in Shanghai and Singapore uh, in terms of this explosion of high rise. Um, so, you know, population is important. Um, the next most important thing is education. And we have an r- extraordinarily good education system at all levels. Um, someone coming here uh, from wherever in the world can put their kid in the public school system and know that they're going to get a darn good education. Appalling as it is, uh, this is not true in most of our competitive cities. You have to buy 
your way out into the private education system. One of the reasons, I mean, the average income of an Amazon employee in London, England, is £200,000, $300,000 a year. Why? Largely because they got to buy education for them. Um, and uh, so that's extraordinary. And then we have the University of Toronto, which is uh, ranked number 20 or 21 uh, uh, of world universities, 10th uh, in terms of publicly funded universities. But in addition to that, we've got uh, three other really good uh, universities, OCAD, uh, Ryerson, and York, and a fantastically good community college system, which is uh, essentially the skills training uh, that we need. So that is really a robust part of the, of the, um, the human capital, which is the essential capital in any city mm -hmm. now. Uh, I mean, tangentially mentioned the fact that we have a, a publicly funded, relatively inexpensive uh, uh, healthcare system, which is universally accessible. Again, appallingly few countries actually have that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm on the library um, uh, foundation and uh, I'm a huge uh, fan of that. We have the biggest library system in the world. Oh, uh, yeah. I thought it was uh, which second is, or third now, it's the biggest. Oh. No, it's, it's the biggest. And, um, and this, is, uh, this is for the, the, the small city, the city of two and a half million. Uh, we have more uh, customers than Hong Kong or, or New York or, or Chicago. Um, so that's uh, education. The next thing is the trick at translating education into business, which is called innovation. And that we are getting better and better and better at. And one of the wonderful uh, things that the provincial government did was um, to develop the, the Mars uh, development, uh, medical and related sciences uh, uh, campus. Uh, uh, which has, has spawned off all kinds of innovation and activity, and and they stayed behind it when it ran through some rough times, which mm -hmm. is which is wonderful. Um, but now we are seeing you know, Microsoft, GM, mm -hmm. uh, all, yeah. all kinds of people. Every every uh, month we get a new um, uh, one of these uh, high tech businesses coming to town. Why are they coming here? Because of the human capital. Mm -hmm. um, so that nexus is key. The next thing is uh, the airport. Um, it's fascinating how um, the airport in, a, in this city, which you, you would not think uh, it would be the case, but it's the fifth best connected airport in the world. <laughs> you can fly to more places uh, than uh, anywhere other than four, four ahead of us. Um, that means that you know, my firm has a business because we work all over the world. Uh, it's the odd advantage of our immigration system is that because people come from all over the world, they uh, almost help subsidize uh, the, 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 um, the planes flying back and forth on which business travelers can right. travel. The businesses want direct flights. Businesses want direct flights. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. Um, and we're also growing faster than any other airport in the world, uh, incredibly, faster than Dubai, faster than uh, Singapore. Um, and we're going to double in size in the next uh, 10 to 15 years. I mean, this is extraordinary. So an airport is an absolutely vital piece of, the, of economic equipment. Um, so those are the, 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 the big drivers. Uh, and we are uh, coming up tick on every single one of those boxes. Okay. Uh, the other thing that has to be said, um, peace, order, and good government. Mm -hmm. Uh, we may moan on about uh, the, the daily life of Toronto, mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, so in contrast to the United States, it, where it's uh, life, liberty... I had a delegation from Jacksonville, Florida, lovely town. Um, I don't know what it is, uh, half a million, something like that. They have uh, 200 murders a year. Um, this is a city of uh, 2.6 million. We have 60 to 70 murders a year. Um, I mean, this is huge mm -hmm. because it means that you can walk the street. Yeah. Your, your daughters can walk the street. Uh, I mean, I, I've had, had two daughters. God knows where they were when they were 17, 18 years old, but I never worried about yeah. that. And um, that, uh, plus, frankly, the, the upside of, of Toronto's modesty, which is a civility, mm -hmm. uh, a, 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 a very pleasant way of... 
um, in a sense, minding your own business and minding everybody else's, uh, letting everybody else live the way they want to live. Um, it's, it's inconceivable for me to imagine that the kind of uh, overt racism that mm -hmm. uh, infects so many cities right now uh, we're not, and again, you have to always qualify within the general. We're not without our problems. Sure. Um, but compared to anywhere else, they're non-existent. So you mentioned problems. Let's just, uh, and you've mentioned this earlier in the podcast, uh, transit being one of the challenges. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a challenge facing any big city. Um, uh, what are some of the other challenges? And, and I guess more importantly, what are some of the challenges that are particularly critical uh, in this city? Um, well, it is transit, transit, transit. Um, I mean, one of the interesting things about why transit is so important is uh, we actually didn't in the big highway building era in that supplied all these highways into American cities, um, we didn't build very many highways. There uh, are only six lanes of freeway, uh, three from the east and three from the west, that serve downtown Toronto. Houston has 24. <laughs> Um, so, so are you saying that's a good thing? It's, it's, a, it's a great thing, but, it, but the, the, the yang to that ying is you better build some transit because you can't drive. Um, and we are seeing now congestion levels throughout the region that are intolerable. Um, and uh, this is a, an emergency that has to be dealt with at, at a lot of levels. The, the, yes, the conventional uh, building of... Um, sort of high, uh, higher order transit, uh, go regional uh, trains, uh, subways, uh, LRTs, uh, better bus, uh, busways. Um, but I also think we've got to start to be much more innovative in the way in which transit is regarded. It's not transit, it's mobility. What we have to do is move people around in a non-automobile way. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I would love to see us experimenting with some sort of quite radical things of, of uh, of granting uh, private sector transit uh, mobility franchises to parts of town um, so that you could see you know, which what, is what they're doing in parts of Europe and Asia yes yeah so you, let's see if, if, if Lyft or Uber have a franchise to uh, develop mobility in Mississauga mm -hmm. um, I think you would get some very interesting solutions there mm -hmm. um, that you know potentially might not be quite as expensive uh, as the as the the the, um, the the heavy rail solutions. I mean, we've got to figure out what we are trying to do is two things. One is move people, and second is lower greenhouse gases. Um, and uh, those two things, I think, are both uh, susceptible to new technology in ways that we have really not pushed the boat out. So transit being probably number one challenge yeah. the city's facing, a lot of people uh, will, will immediately turn to affordable housing yeah. as another, another key plank in that challenge. Yeah, and, 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 and they're right. Um, it, it's, uh, it, I mean, you always have to remember, why is housing, housing unaffordable? Is because so many people want to come and live in Toronto. Um, the reason housing is unaffordable is because the city is such a success. Um, and we don't want to stop it being a success. Uh, and I, I, working in London, uh, oddly, they, they probably cured themselves by their Brexit insanity, but um, they were very worried about the fact that, that uh, housing was being a, di a disincentive to new the immigration of the people that they needed, both the highly skilled workers, but also the, 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 the nurses, the teachers, uh, the, the, the firefighters, the policemen, that the, uh, that they wouldn't find a place to live. So they and New York City have gone very aggressively at the affordable housing agenda in, in variants of the same idea. Um, both cities have uh, very stringent uh, inclusionary zoning. Um, so in London, uh, the inclusionary zoning base is 30%. So 30% of your housing uh, in any development has to be affordable in one form or another. Um, if it's public land, it has to be 50%. Mm -hmm. um, in New York, there are similar, though less uh, stringent requirements, but they have opened up a huge amount of land mm. uh, for new housing development. So uh, part of the, the Bloomberg administration genius was to increase the 
residential area of their city by 18%. That's an area. And these are going to be high-density areas, so you're actually increasing the capacity uh, even more than that. Um, and I've not seen us here have the same imagination or energy. Um, and part this is where the difficulty of uh, the governance system um, comes into play. The City of Toronto could not apply a 30% inclusion rezoning requirement because the province would have to give them permission to do that, and probably the province wouldn't. Um, the areas for redevelopment for new housing uh, are largely outside of the city boundaries right now. Uh, one of the things that both um, uh, New York, well, more London and Paris have recognized is that transit is your big affordable housing provider. Mm -hmm. If you could get to uh, the more um, distant uh, centers, I mean, it's fascinating to me, I think that um, uh, Hamilton is 45 miles, so 60 uh, some kilometers uh, from Toronto. Um, its housing uh, prices are half or more than a half lower than Toronto's. That's an enormous resource yeah. of housing. Sure. Um, and and yet the train takes an hour and a half. Uh, nobody. So. And more and more people would would gladly pick up and move to Hamilton. It's got similar ingredients that appeal. Uh, yeah. That are uh, and Oshawa. And sorry. And Oshawa. And Oshawa. Uh, and uh, even places like Peterborough. If you look what's going on in in um, in London uh, and New York, um, the the commute distances are really quite significant. The commute times, because you've got uh, high speed regional rail, are, fine. Are, are are fine. You can keep it under an hour, okay. uh, and in an hour you ought to be able to get a hundred miles, uh, one hundred sixty kilometers away. So I just have a couple more questions. Um, I guess when you're thinking about Toronto and writing the book and you know, reflecting back uh, on its past, where we are now and, and where, where, you know, where we're heading. Um, are you more excited about Toronto and its future or are you increasingly worried? No, I'm more excited. Um, it's honestly the city that I kind of hoped it might become. I always used to feel, eh, I should have stayed in London. I should have uh, gone to New York when I because I had a chance in mid-career to go to both cities um, and I stayed largely for family reasons but those are actually very good reasons to stay mm -hmm. I was uh, bringing up kids here and I realized that in terms of quality of life they were going to get an infinitely better quality of yeah. life here than, than a guy struggling uh, with a long commute uh, and absurd housing prices in uh, London or New York um, there's no question that the cultural life, in the broadest sense of the word, is extraordinarily rich. I mean, I've lived in generally the same part of town, Annex, uh, most of my life in Toronto. And I love walking west on Bloor Street because every week there's a new restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, you can get a good meal for 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is an incredible uh, asset that any city has. Um, in terms of the, the, the in my office, uh, you know, we did, did a kind of diversity survey here uh, a few months ago to figure out, uh, and it's crazy where everybody comes from, uh, and it's very clear that the old white guys and, and perhaps even the old white gals uh, are in. 10 years time not going to be the beating heart of this business mm -hmm. it's going to be taken over by um, uh, younger people with a very different sense of the world right. uh, or a very different experience of the world maybe the same sense but a very different experience uh, and you can't help but be optimistic about that you, you go uh, I'll give you a you can use this maybe as a, a as a parting image if you want to feel fantastic about Toronto go to Ashbridge's Bay where the volleyball courts are. Okay, that's in the beach. In the, the, be beach in the beaches. So this is a, Toronto, by the way, has beautiful beaches, mm -hmm. um, and uh, which is remarkable for a city that you can go to on the transit line. Um, so the Ashbridge's Bay uh, volleyball court, there are probably 50, 100 volleyball courts there. And who is playing volleyball? is the most beautiful people in the world, aged 
21, 22. Because of the diversity. Because of the the diversity. And they've done a very clever thing there, which is, I think, in some of the leagues, they insist on having mixed teams. Oh, is that right? So this is like the biggest beach dating game you ever saw. Mm -hmm. And you see these utterly beautiful people. Mm -hmm. And, And... in a strange way, you, if you had to ask what ethnicity they were, you wouldn't really be able to say because they're what I call Toronto blend. Yeah. Um, and and the Toronto blend produces some uh, very attractive people. Right. Extraordinary people. And what they share is this energy and this optimism. Uh, and actually, let it be said, they share a kind of uh, realized beauty. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I think you can build a, a great city on that. Well, let me ask you then, for the for those who are visiting this city, especially the, the ULI members coming uh, for the, the uh, ULI spring meeting, um, what would you encourage first-time visitors to take in so that they can get a better idea what the city is all about? Um, what do you want them to think about during their visit to Toronto? Well, I would like them to have uh, almost a competition to see who can get the cheapest, best meal. <laughs> Because it'll be the most satisfying competition you could get. Set yourself a, I'll take it up to 12 bucks. Um, But set yourself a 12 buck limit. Uh, Walk along Bloor Street, walk along Dundas, uh, walk along Queen West, Queen East, uh, uh, Gerard East, uh, the Danforth. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There is nothing to be afraid of here. Mm -hmm. You can go anywhere you want to go. And just wonder at the diversity of cuisine that there is. Um, so I'd like them to do that. Uh, I'd like them to go for a beautiful walk uh, along whatever stretch of the waterfront they uh, they choose. So the classic piece that you can go along is, is in, in the center, uh, and that's kind of fun and interesting. Um, but if you go out to the beaches, there's this charming residential boardwalk there. Places that I really like uh, on the on the west end. Uh, there's some marvelous parks that stick out into the lake, Humber Bay Park, uh, and you suddenly you're in this enormous city with these huge high rises right behind you, but you're in this utterly peaceful relationship mm-hmm. to the lake, right. and it's kind of, it's almost like a the world's biggest infinity pool, Lake <laughs> Ontario. Uh, it stretches out forever. Well, that's that's a really um, a wonderful way to end this this podcast interview. Um, even though you're not, you you said yourself, you're an immigrant. You're not from Toronto. You came here. I, I can't think of a better person to be the ambassador, welcoming welcoming all those uh, first time visitors. Given your experience and given your your just your insightful observations about this city, I really appreciate um, your time. Uh, I'm delighted, and I will. Uh, be happy to host the $12 meal tour. <laughs> okay. I'm sure there'll be lots of takers. Thanks again, Joe. My pleasure.